Hey, this is John Morgan. I'm the lead pastor here at Word of Life Church in the nation's capital. I want to personally thank you for taking time out to listen to our podcast today. It's our prayer that you're inspired and that your life is changed for the better while listening. So go ahead, enjoy today's message. I'm reading out of Ecclesiastes chapter 4 and verse 9. This is what it says, Ecclesiastes 4 verse 9. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls, for he has no, uh, not another to lift him up. Again, two lie down together, they keep warm. How can one be warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. We're in week three of our series uh, created for community. We're so glad that you're in the house of the Lord today. I'm believing that God's going to speak to you. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word. Oh, God, it's so awesome. It, it reads us more than we read it. It's alive and it's powerful. It has the ability to get into our life and make supernatural change from the inside out. Men and women paid with their life that we would have the freedom of the Scripture. God, so we come around your word today with honor in our heart, asking you, renew our minds. Help us to be better. Conform us into your image. Make us more like Christ today. Our hearts are open. Our minds are ready. Lord God, our spirits are engaged. Lord God, we're ready to receive your word and be changed. We pray that we would leave church today better than when we came in, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. Why don't you fist pump the person beside you? Tell them how fantastic they're looking, how glad you are to be sitting beside them in church. I, I, I love church. I love the church community. I just love the church community. Before we get into the message, we should just stop. Um, when you go to a, like a, a, a sitcom that's being recorded, they have signs up, applause, laugh. Late, late night shows, the same thing, applause, laugh. We can't do that. That would be weird. So we have Jackie. So, so if Jackie's woohooing and clapping, that's your indicator. That's a good point. You should probably clap as well. Just throwing that out there. Jackie Cam. I, I love the 42 years of being planted in the church, what it's done for me personally. I love how the church has carried me when I couldn't walk. I love the way the church has loved me when I was probably struggling to love myself. I love how the church has been a source of fun, of joy, of life, with so many awesome memories. When I was thinking about this last night, I was reflecting over, you know, the decades of being a Christian and, 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 and the unbelievably cool memories that I have because of being planted in the church. From when I first got saved and was at Christian Outreach Center in Brisbane, Australia, and the youth pastor, uh, Craig Anderson, would drive out of his way to come and pick me up and take me to church. And, and, then, then, and then getting plugged into the church. And then a family, Ray and Barry Bergen, they, they, they took me into their house. I, I was living in an apartment. It was a terrible situation. wasn't really helping me grow in the things of God. And they opened their house for me. And then I went with their family to New Zealand and helped uh, Don McDonnell Sr., pastor, uh, Whangarei Praise Fellowship, a little independent church. I don't think it ever got over 70 people. It was just a small, but it was an amazing little family. And, and uh, brothers and sisters and nephews and nieces and cousins were all in the family. And it was just a fun place to, to be. Uh, we would we'd have uh, nights at the house. I remember we'd have up to 38 people sometimes in the house just 
singing and praising God and moved from there to Australia, part of Christian Outreach Center in uh, Townsville with Pastor Laurie Jensen. And, and, and so the story goes. And there's just so many great memories of fun times that I've had by being planted in the house of the Lord. I love how the church has connected me to people that I would never have got to meet in any other way. I love how the church family have kept me connected to Jesus and on mission for all these years. I love how the church has loved my family. I love how the church has shaped my family. I, I, I love how the church has been there in my family's time of need. I love how the church has supported us in times of crisis. I love how the church rallied around my parents in their later years when I was thousands of miles away and couldn't get there on my own. That is the purpose of the church, to be planted in the house of the Lord. Psalm 92 says, The righteous flourish like a palm tree and grow like a cedar in Lebanon. They are planted in the house of the Lord. They flourish in the courts of our God. I love that we can be planted in God's house, drawing life out, giving life back in, and flourishing in the courts of our God. I love that. And I love the fact that the Word says that we can be fresh, and we can be flourishing, and we can be fruitful, no matter how old we are. That age is not a disqualifier of life in the kingdom of God. That we can keep growing if we just keep going. I talked to our staff this week, and I said, we got we got to make sure that we don't stop. You think of, you think of Moses' generation... They could have gone into the promised land. They did all the hard work. They got out of Egypt, but their love for the past made them stop on the journey and they never entered into the promised land. All they would have needed to do was just keep walking, just keep walking, just keep walking. I want to encourage you, don't stop walking, don't stop moving, don't stop being committed, don't stop building relationships, don't stop being connected. Get yourself planted in the house of the Lord so you can flourish in the courts of our God. I want to encourage you today, if you're not already, be planted in the house. Be, be ejected in the house. Get yourself connected in the body of Christ. Get yourself established in the community of Christ followers. Amen. Not a club. We're not a religious group. We're not a social gathering. We are family. Amen. We are the church. We are the body of Christ. And the church was created for community. God created the church for you, and God created you for the church. We've been talking a lot about relationships over the last few weeks, about being connected in community. Started the series out about talking about being up, mentors and heroes, uh, getting our authority by being under authority. Uh, Last week, we began alongside or beside, talking about friends and family. Next week, we're going to talk about relationships out being people of impact and influence, being salt and light in the world around us. But we've got to remember that that community was created to make us better. Two are better than one. Why? Because they get a good reward for their toil. Community was created to make us stronger, to get us connected, to make us better. For as in one body, we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. We're all different, praise God. But though we are many, we are one body in Christ, individually members of one another. That's the beauty of the church, is you take that uniqueness of who you are, how God has gifted you, your worldview, everything unique and special about you. And then God brings you together with people who are totally different, wired differently, and brings us together as the body of Christ. Community was created for us. God looked at Adam and said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will create a helpmeet for him. So last week I spoke about friends. This week I want to speak specifically about family. Ecclesiastes 4 that we read gives us 
four solid benefits that, that, that should be afforded to us because of the unit of the family. Success, two are better than one because they get a good reward for their toil. Support, for if they fall, one will lift up his fellow, but woe to him who is alone when he falls because he has no one to lift him up. Security, again, if two lie down together, they keep warm, but how can one be warm alone? And strength, and though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. So success, support, security, and strength. It doesn't come from attendance. It comes from connection. You can be in a crowd of thousands of people and still feel alone. You can, you can be in a church of thousands and still feel alone. You can be in family and live your life like an outcast. Success, support, security, and strength, they all come from being connected, from doing it in unity. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. In other words, uh, the three, here's what, it's not talking about three individual cords that are, or strands that are laid out on their own. It says in that state, a strand here, a strand here, a strand here. In that state, they're there, but because they're not connected, there's no strength. But if you take each strand and you intertwine it, then you, you build the cord. Then each part of the cord gives strength to the other part. And now a threefold cord is not quickly broken because every cord is giving strength to the other. That's, why the, that's the beauty of the church is you get strength and you give strength to other people. We are created for and better in healthy family. Genesis chapter 2 says, it's not good that man should be alone. I will make a helper fit for him. So the one man, Adam, became two, Adam and Eve. And so the two, man and woman, could become one family. That's unity. Genesis says, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast come into unity, hold fast with his wife, and they shall become one flesh. So two people leaving parents, becoming one. One flesh. The two shall become one. The, the, the family plan is there. Each shall leave his father and his mother. Think about this. That scripture happened before there was a father and a mother. That whole concept of family was there while Adam and Eve were in the garden and still naked. So God is thinking, I'm, I'm bringing you together, not just so Adam and Eve could live on their own. Adam, I'm giving you Eve because it's not good for you to be alone. But Adam and Eve, it's not good for you. I'm bringing family to you. And you're going to have offspring and they're going to have family. Not, not, but not every family is the same. Not every family in the Bible is the same. Not every family in the world that we live in today is the same. Just to name a few, the nuclear family, mom and dad and kids. The single parent family, one parent and kids. The blended family, the blending of parents, step-parents and kids. The adopted family, the blending of parents and adopted children. The foster family, the blending of parents and children who may only be there for a season. Each has their own specific challenge, but every one of those families is unique and every one of those families is special to God. Every one of those families matters to God. No matter how they got together, they matter to God. And, and the devil hates the unity of the family. And he's the author of division in the family unit. Bible says, if a house is divided against itself, then the house will not be able to stand. The devil, being the accuser of the brethren, wants to divide the family. Proverbs 6.16, there are six things that the Lord hates, seven that are abomination to him, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked plans, feet uh, that make haste to run, 
to evil, a false witness uh, who breathes out lies, and one who sows discord amongst the brethren. Always a good scripture to remember before you gossip. That's just a bonus point. God hates those who sow discord amongst the brethren. The miracle of family is found in our unity. The blessing of the Lord comes when we can enter into unity. Psalm 133 verse 1 to 3 says, Behold how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. It's like the precious oil running down on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It's like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded his blessing, life forevermore. The, the miracle of unity, it's a miracle because anyone can be one on their own. But when the two become one, when the two become one unit, when I'm on my own, I can do whatever I want, when I want, how I want. I can be self-centered, I can be self-absorbed, I can be selfish. But family demands that I be us-centered and not me-centered. Unity is hard to achieve, but it's powerful when you get it. In the book of Genesis chapter 11, the, the descendants of Noah were in one mind and one voice and in one accord and one language. They, they, they discovered unity. And God looked at them, and, and even though they were on an evil agenda, God said, nothing that they put their heart to can be stopped. So God comes in and says, I know if I can break the unity, I can stop the power. The devil just duplicates that. If he can break the unity, he can break the power. Marriages start generally in unity. The two become one. But that unity needs to be valued. It needs to be cultivated. It needs to be managed. It needs to be a goal. That unity needs to be maintained. And if it isn't, it can be on a slide towards division before you're even aware of it. Listen to me. You, you don't swing from unity to division in one step. There's always a progression. There are steps in the journey to take you from unity to division. And, and, and steps are taken if issues are unaddressed. At the top end of that spectrum is unity, uh, which is a result of honor. At the bottom end of that spectrum is division, which is a result of dishonor. And when you understand how that slide works, you're able to address issues when they're needed to be addressed. When it comes to relationships in the honor slide, the highest level of honor produces unity. The two have become one. That's the object of the family, for the marriage and family to be united as one. For that to stay in place, you need to have honor. You've got to cultivate honor. Unity is a result of honor. Unity is a result of placing high value on other people and honoring others before yourself. Honor comes as, as a result of preferring others before you. Exodus chapter 20 says, Honor your father, your mother, that your days may be long in the land of the Lord and your God, God is giving you. So even to children, God says, listen, honor is high. And if you can honor your parents, if parents can honor each other, if, if, if parents can honor their, if you can honor that family unit and show honor in there, then unity can stay strong. Unity is a result of honor. But when you step from honor, you move into familiarity. Now, the only ingredient that you really need for familiarity is, is, is time. That's the only thing that you do. Is the only thing that you need is, is just a little bit of time. You don't need to do too much. Just be together a long time. And it's easy for familiarity to creep in. Familiarity is your enemy because it's stepping away from honor. But all you need, just you don't need to be bad, don't need to be evil, don't need to be sinning, just need time. That's all it takes. When I was, when I was about 10, 
The only thing I wanted for Christmas was a Mulvin Star three-speed dragster bike. That's all I wanted. Oh, man, I wished upon a star for that. I sent hints to Santa. Oh, I prayed so hard. I woke up Christmas morning, walked, and there under the tree. Just like the glory of God was shining on it. Was a purple, because it's the fastest color. Three-speed, Malvern Star dragster with a banana seat. And then the bar at the back. You remember? And then the handlebars that just reached up to heaven like they were praising God. <laughs> I love that bike. So I don't remember anything else I got for Christmas. I could have got other stuff I don't remember. But that thing just grabbed my... I love that bike so much. I, 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 I rode it carefully. I wouldn't let anybody else get on it. And, and, and I'd polish it when I, when, I, when I got home and had its own special place that it could just sit underneath the house. I never looked after anything like I looked after that Malvern Star three-speed drag survey. A beautiful bike. And I'm not sure how long. It could have been two years. Probably knowing me, it was two weeks. But I wasn't, I'm not sure how long until familiarity kicked in. And all of a sudden, it just became one of many things that I had. And so it went from no one was allowed to ride it to everyone's allowed to ride it, and everyone's allowed to ride it simultaneously. Let's see how many people we can get on this bike and ride a ramp and launch all of us on the bike into the river. And then in a hurry to do other things, I just dumped the bike in the yard. It spent many nights with its handlebars praising God under the stars. What was that? That's familiarity. We do that in relationships all the time. Familiarity gives you the permission to do things and say things that that honor would never allow. I was in a hotel and uh, got in the elevator and the maintenance guy was in the elevator. And I said, hey, how are you doing, man? What are you doing tonight? And he looked at me and he goes, well, I'm going home. Uh, I'm taking the old ball and chain out. So who's he talking about? He's talking about his wife. Taking the old ball and chain out. And I can remember thinking to myself, I wonder how long you guys have been married that you think it's okay to call your bride the ball and chain. I'm presuming that wasn't the term of endearment that he used when they were dating. I'm... guessing that on their first Valentine's Day card that he wrote when they were dating wasn't a box of chocolates with a, with a card, with a ball and a chain and a picture of himself and then an arrow going, you. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that didn't happen. But what happened was now they've been married so long, now you give yourself permission to say and do things that honor would never allow you to do. Familiarity is your enemy. Familiarity is your enemy. You know why? Because you don't recognize it. Revelation calls it being lukewarm. I'd rather you be hot. I'd rather you be cold. It's always a weird statement to me. Why would Jesus say that? Because both statements are recognizable. I'd rather you be hot. You know when it's hot. I'd rather you be cold. You know when it's cold. But when it's lukewarm, you generally don't know. Walk into a room that's hot. Man, turn the air conditioner, it's hot. Walk into a room that's cold. Man, turn the heater on, it's cold. But when the, when the, when the, maybe you do it, I don't. I never walk into a room and go, hmm, perfect temperature. You just don't notice it. You're doing other things. That's the problem with familiarity. There's just enough cold in the hot to take it off being hot and to get it lukewarm. And when it's lukewarm and you don't know it's lukewarm, the problem with that is you're not going to address it. And when you don't address lukewarm, there's only one place that it can go and it's to eventually become cold. So when you don't address lukewarmness in your relationship, you're already on the slope to going cold. The next step from being lukewarm is contempt. Contempt is like silent judgment. It's like you are, you are aggravated by what used to be tolerated. 
Now, now, now you major on mine. There's just little things about your partner or about your kids or whoever. There's just little things in there that now aggravate the fire out of you. And let's just be real. There are some things that aggravate the fire out of us. I hate crunching sounds. I don't know why. I just hate. And I can hear them from anywhere. Thankfully, my wife doesn't make crunching sounds. But let's just say she did. Let's say she was a, she was a celery eater. Celery, raw celery and raw carrots are from the devil. <laughs> Their only purpose on planet Earth is crunching sounds. But let's just say when we were dating and she would just, we'd be in the car and she'd just break out her little container of carrots and celery. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I'm in love. Oh, that's the nicest sound I've ever heard. Babe, when you crunch, you crunch like no other crunching. It's like the perfect crunch. If everyone could just crunch as good as you crunch. Now, familiarity kicks in and she's crunching again. She should know by now. Don't like the crunching sounds. And it leads to contempt, which is I hate it when she does that crunching. Why is she going to crunch for? Boil the carrot, mash it up, suck it up through a straw. <laughs> Contempt is, is unspoken, it gets under the surface. And if it's undealt with, it leads to dishonor. Dishonor is not a lack of honor, it's displaced honor. It focuses on someone or something else. It, it, it now... Now is how it works in that crunching scenario. Now I'm at work and there's a girl there who hates carrots and celery. She, 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 she won't even touch them. She's an anti-vegan. She just comes in just eating steak. Why are you eating steak? I hate carrots and celery. So now what happens with dishonor is I'm looking at her and going, why isn't my wife more like her? Now I'm starting to honor someone else that I should be honoring her. That's how, that's how dishonor starts to infect a relationship. Dishonor is not, not a lack of honor. It's just repurposed or refocused honor. Dishonor manifests in adultery. You honor the other person. Dishonor manifests in abuse, whether it be verbal, physical, or emotional. It's self-centered honor. It takes your anger out that should be managed and it takes it out on somebody else. This is dishonor. And you're taking honor off that person and putting that honor on yourself and now you're being abusive. I'm guessing that the abuse didn't start when you were dating. And if it did start when you were dating, you should have stopped there. But I'm guessing you got in the relationship and it starts to get, there's nothing more dishonorable than hurting somebody else, whether physically, emotionally, spiritually. Dishonor manifests itself in anger. Dishonor manifests itself in your focus. You, you, can, you can dishonor your spouse by taking your focus off time with your spouse and running to the safety of putting your time into your work. So now you work more hours than you should work because that's a safe zone for you. And to escape from your relationship, you put your time into work or to escape from confronting things, you put your time into your work. And now you honor your work over your spouse and you have dishonor, but you've just simply moved your honor from your wife or your children and you put the honor into your work. And that dishonor will always lead to division. Unless it's arrested somewhere, it's going to end up in division. The one have become two. The marriage and the family has become divided. So let's just talk briefly. Let's just talk a little bit about the, the, the topping, how to create a culture of honor in your family. Creating a unity in your family through a culture of honor. 
Ephesians chapter 5, verse 31. Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. A threefold cord, Ecclesiastes says, is not quickly broken. That's the goal. The two shall become one, and the family shall be united. But the two cannot be one if they're running in two different visions. The two cannot be one if there's not mutual respect and love. Ephesians 5.21 says, Submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Ephesians 5.25 says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. Ephesians 5.33 says, Let each one of you love his wife as himself, and the wife see that she respects her husband. Behaviors that create a culture of honor are submission, love, sacrifice, and respect. And we need to manifest and model these behaviors in our marriage. We need to model them in our parenting. We need to model them for our children. And I believe that we should anticipate that to be mutual, to come back to us. The first is submission. Verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Verse 22, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also should submit to everything to their husbands. Listen, the the key to submission is here. As the church submits to Christ. My submission to Jesus is not out of fear. My my submission to Jesus is not out of force. It's not out of him manipulating me. My submission to Jesus is out of a respect for his love towards me. It's easy to submit myself to God, not because I have a... Listen, it may be different for you. I'm just telling you how it is for me. My Christian life is not driven by a fear of hell. There's probably no day that I wake up during the year about myself and thinking, man, I better do good things today because I don't want to burn in hell. Hell's not on my radar. I don't have a hell focus. I have a heaven focus. I am overwhelmed by the grace and the magnitude of God. I have a healthy respect for God. And therefore, I'm able to submit to God because when I think about how huge God is, And how microscopic I am. I'm like, God, we have telescopes now that are discovering galaxies that are probably already burnt out. But we're just starting to see galaxies outside our galaxies. Telescopes are just starting to give us a clue on how big this thing is that God created. And then you draw it all down on how small our world is that God created. And then how small our state is that God created. And how small our city is. And how small our neighborhood is. And how small our house is. And how small our bedroom is. And how small I am in the bedroom. What is God that you are mindful of me? How are you even thinking about me? This is mind-blowing. The goodness of God, the promises of God, the Word of God, the best decision I ever made in my life was serving God. I look back at what I was like and where I'm at now. My life is driven by my love for Jesus. My life is driven by my, by my understanding of it, where God wants. He came to give me life and life more abundantly. Nothing in my nature is driven by a fear of hell because I'm not going there. I see it online all the time. People are like, oh, you Christians are doing good stuff because you're afraid of hell. Who hurt you? Who gave you bad doctrine? We're going to heaven. This is just prep for heaven. My worship today wasn't worship because I'm all on fire. 
My worship is because I love him. That's what submission is. That's what it should be in our marriage. I should, we should be able to mutually submit to each other. Not because we're forced to or made to or have to, but because we want to because of love. God doesn't make me submit against my will. I humble myself in his sight. And then what does it say? And he will humble yourself in the sight of the Lord and he will. Say it again. Humble yourself in the sight and he will. So God's agenda is to lift you up as long as you can humble yourself. And if you can humble yourself, God can lift you up. But it's hard for him to lift you up if he can't trust you to be elevated. But if he knows the elevation is not going to get in your head and be used to sell, serve your own purpose, there's no issue with him elevating you if you can just submit him, submit to him. Submission is the magic source of the family. Submission is easier and, and an easier action when we, when we diffuse the intensity of that word. Because I think sometimes we, we, you must submit. You must do what I tell you to do. I think a better description of the word is agreement. How can two walk together unless they be in agreement? Submission is just a result of agreement. And agreement is easy when we're on the same page. Agreement is easy when we're serving the same agenda. Uh, agreement is easy when we have the same vision. Easy, agreement is easy when there's conversation. Mutual vision comes from mutual conversation. I, I believe that we need to model submission and agreement in our house so our children will know what it looks like. We need to model it together as a, as a couple. We need to model it in our community around us, our, our way we, we serve in church. You've got to be a model. I, I'm the leader of my house, and you submit to me. That, that's not leadership. Leadership leads people into agreement. I'm the lead pastor of this church. And as a leader, I understand if I'm going to get people moving together, there has to be conversation. I have never at any point in my time here, and I think probably most of my life, but let's just say time here. I've never said to anybody, you must follow me because I'm the pastor. I've never said to anybody, you must, you can't touch God's anointed. I'm the man. Don't touch me. I don't need to do that. I don't need to play those mind games with anybody because I know who I am. God's called me to lead the church. But leadership says, if I don't take anybody with me, I'm leading nothing. We have four deacons voted in by a church membership, have another two being voted in at the end of the year, another two next year, the year after that, to get us to eight. And we had nine, but because of COVID and bylaw change, and we have four. But I've already invited three extra gentlemen, two used to be deacons, and one other gentleman to be on the team. Get three, I call them pastors' council. Legally, they don't have a vote, but they do have a voice. Because when I, when I, when I, when I want to make decisions, leadership wisdom says, I don't want to be the brainiest guy in the room. I don't want to be the source of all wisdom. And that's the same in my family. Our family would be, would be less than it could be if I was the only leader and I couldn't, have, I couldn't have conversation with my wife. My children are adults. And so we need to have conversation with them. And if we have conversations and we can come into unity, then submission is easy. Submission and agreement is easy to do when rebellion is not your motivator. Don't model rebellion to your children. They don't need any encouragement. It's going to happen. You can't force submission. And I don't even think you should. I don't even think you should. Now, you can imply rules of your house. And if your children don't obey the rules, then maybe they have to move out. I remember when I started work, I was like 17, 18. I started work at 16, but I was in my apprenticeship and I was a chef by trade and we finished work at 11 o'clock at night and, and I would go out and party in, uh, till like you know, 5, 6 in the morning and come home and throw all my clothes on the floor and sleep until about 11 and go off to work and do the same thing every other day. And my, my parents said to me, they said, uh, 
Uh, you either keep our rules or you move out. And I said, I moved out. I did my own thing, and then I moved back in, and then I moved out, and I moved back in, and I moved out, and I moved back in, and I moved out, and I moved back in, and I moved out, and I moved back in, and I moved out, and I was in and out for the next five years. I knew where they stood, but I also knew that they loved me. So they said, these are our rules. If you don't submit, you've got to leave. And so when I came back, I knew what I was submitting to. And so you can't force it, but you can enforce it. Leadership is about going together. And if you're going to lead your family, you need to be able to walk together. That's the skill of people, getting people of totally different values and concepts moving together in one. That's what it is about family. Then there's love. Husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church. The same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. Now, love is a language that has to be spoken and not assumed. I heard a story about a couple getting counseling and the wife said to the pastor, my husband never tells me that he loves me. And the husband responded with, listen, I told you I loved you 30 years ago when we got married. If I change my mind, I'll let you know. (laughs) You got to show love in a way that the other partner can experience it and receive it. Gary Chapman lists out five different love languages. And each of us have one of those that are high priority in our life. They're, They're dominating. It's the way we receive love. But I believe in a marriage, we should be looking at all of these. Words of affirmation. I love you. You're amazing. I make sure I tell my wife every day, I love you. I make sure every day, if I, if I, every, most days, let me say not every, but every day, thank you for marrying me. I know you had options. I'm glad you didn't take those options. Thank you. I love you. I appreciate you. You want to tell your children that? I love you. You're amazing. You're awesome. God's call is on your life. God's hand is on your life. Say that to them when it looks like none of that evidence is there. I'm here today probably as a result of after my second car accident where I smashed my face in, knocked the engine of the vehicle into the back seat. I hit it so hard, hit a parked car. And I, my face, my, I'll never forget, my mum put my head on her lap. She was bathing my face and all the, the injuries. And my mom said to me, she goes, she goes, I don't always love what you do, but I love you. And she said, you'll never, ever stop me from loving you, and you'll never, ever stop God from loving you. Now, she could have looked at my face, which is already in pain, and just started slapping it. <laughs> you stupid boy. See that scar on your head? It's a big scar. Let's make it a bit bigger. You know, so she got, she had, she got, but she chose love. She chose words. I don't know how hard that was for her, but she chose words, and I'll never forget those words. Speech, words of affirmation, quality time, making time for each other. Uh, Anna and my, our schedules are always crazy. And so we have to schedule time, quality time together. Gifts, buying gifts for people, blessing them with something, just doing something nice. Touch, a hug, a hand on the shoulder, an embrace, holding, rubbing someone's back, whatever. Acts of service, just doing things that the other person likes being done. Just an act of service, just nice things, nice things that, you can, that you can do. Like for me, my act of service every night is I turn off the closet light. I don't know why this happens, but when Anna goes to bed, every light is turned off. And she doesn't, and some light, she doesn't even have to move. She just has to go, Alexa, turn off the bedroom. And the lights magically just, bathroom lights off, hallway lights off, bedroom lights off, the closet. I don't even know when she went into the closet last. But every time I go in there, it's on. And so my act of service, I come in, I don't go, hey, lights on in the closet. No, I just walk in humbly. I exert a whole heap of energy. And I've done my gender role. 
There's obviously other acts of service. Her active services, we have, we have pillows. We have a lot of pillows. Anna likes pillows. She has a lot, a lot, a lot. Of, we stayed in a hotel recently, and they already had four pillows, but I had to order five pillows. I'm a one-pillow guy. In fact, I'm not even a one-pillow guy. If this is a pillow, my head goes about here. I'm like a tenth of a pillow guy. But Anna, no, she has have a wall of pillows. She's got the great wall of pillows there in her bed. But there's one pillow. It's a long pillow. It's a thin pillow. It fits right under my arm. And it's always on her side of the bed. And her active service at night is to pass me the pillow so I can shove it under my arm to go to sleep. Light off pillow over acts of service. Why is your marriage so happy? Light off, pillow over. That's as easy as that. <laughs> These are more than actions. They're statements of love. You do it because you love the other person. You do it because you love your spouse, you love your children, and they need to know that they're loved. Sacrifice. Gave himself up for her, that they may sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water of the word, so they might be present, he that he might present the church to himself in splendor. If the two are going to become one, then something is going to have to end up on the altar of sacrifice. Whether it be your culture, whether it be your hobbies, whether it be your lifestyle, whether it be your freedom, whether it be your love for raw carrots and celery, it may be something. For me, it's the temperature of our bedroom. It's a sacrifice. I like, I grew up in the tropics. I like a house that's about 72 all year round. Get it to 80, it's even better. So in our bedroom, my natural style of sleeping is 75, no sheets or blankets, just lay on top of the bed. My, my, my bride not only loves pillows, she loves ice. We have the bedroom consistently at 60. 60. That's one number in 666. That's, that's how bad that is. <laughs> she likes it at 60. And then the room's at 60, but if it's minus 30 outside, she'll always lift the window to let the freezing cold air in. <laughs> our, our, our room is like an icicle. Our, our going to bed at night usually is me. I, I, I brush my teeth. I, I, I come out of the bedroom. I, I turn the light off in the closet because it's still there. And I pull the sheets back. And I go, oh, my gosh, it's freezing. And I dive into bed. She cuddles me and then hits me with a pillow. That's our routine. <laughs> Anything that I have sacrificed for our relationship is always rewarded in the end. Always rewarded. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother, hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one. We sacrifice time. We sacrifice our freedom. We do things for the other person, create boundaries, create priorities. It's all about sacrifice. What can I lay down for you to help you? What, what, can I, what can I do to make you better? As a husband, my role is to make her be everything God called her to be. That's my role. That's my role. My role is to help my children as a dad be everything that God's called them to be. My, my role with my sons-in-law and my grandkids, my grandson, help them to be everything they've called. That's my role. That's my, that's my sacrifice. That's what, I, that's what I'm called to do. And so I, I, I sacrifice for my family, and the rewards are awesome. I want to encourage you. You can't. Here's the last thing. Russell, you can come up and play something sacrificial. is respect. Let each one of you love his wife as himself. So love's got to be high. And let the wife see that she respects her husband. In, in, a, in a... Where were you, Christian? I just saw you running like lightning across the back. You're in the foyer playing table tennis? You, you did sit through the first service, didn't you? What, what was my last point? No, don't worry about it. It's good. <laughs> Only reason I saw it because I got distracted because I saw this bolt of lightning go across the back there. I thought it was a squirrel. <laughs> let each of you love his wife as himself and let the wife see that she respects her husband. In a, in a generalization, women want to be loved and men want to be respected. 
But I don't think it's mutually exclusive. I think we need to be loved and respected. When men are respected, they, they feel loved. And generally when women feel loved, they feel respected. Respect is a big thing for me. Is there a big, big thing for a man? Fights start out in pubs and bars when a man doesn't feel respected. And the other person doesn't even have to say anything. It's like, you, why'd you look at me like that? Why'd you look at me? What's the man saying? I felt like when you looked at me, you looked at me with disrespect. Brawls have started out by someone disrespecting another man. It's high on the value list. If you're, a, if you're a woman, tell you, I love you, I respect you. You're doing an awesome job. Show respect. Respect is a big thing. I, I, I will go from zero to 100 if I feel disrespected in customer service. This is in the nature to want to be respected. Respect is earned. It can't be demanded. Respect is modeled. It cannot be mandated. Respect is mutual. It cannot be exclusive. Respect is about awareness and it's about timing. Respect sometimes is about tone and it's about volume. If you want to respect your husband, if you want to respect your dad, you want to respect your parents, how you speak to them, when you say, what you say, how you say, what you say, the volume, the tone, who's around. If you want to keep honor for each other high and honor in your family high, then you have to begin honoring God and modeling honor for God. If you want to model honor to your family, model honor in your lifestyle. Model submission, not rebellion. Model love, not hate. Model sacrifice, not selfishness. And model respect and not dishonor. If we, if we will start to take those things and apply, lift the honor high, maybe you're, maybe you're in, the, in the lukewarm state, the familiarity state, arrest it and start to show honor. Maybe you're in the contempt state where you're starting to, you know, get agitated. Then you can turn, repent. The Bible says repent and be, repent, change direction and start sowing some honor. Maybe you're in the dishonor stage. Maybe it's time to repent. Maybe it's time to turn around and stop honoring the wrong thing, whether it be the wrong person or just yourself or something else and start sowing honor to your family, to your husband, to your wife. And then maybe we can bring it back into a beautiful unity that God can bless. Come on, why don't you stand and give God a great round of applause right now. Come on, thank you, God.